0: I have a special announcement for you today. Slate is having a holiday sale. For a limited time, we're offering our annual Slate Plus membership at $25 off for your first year. It's a great deal. Think of it like this. You pay $10 or $15 a month for your music and streaming subscriptions. With Slate Plus, for less than $4 a month, you can get member-exclusive episodes and segments from us and other shows like Slow Burn, Amicus, and Political Gab Fest. No ads on any of our podcasts and unlimited reading on the Slate site. Best of all, you'll be supporting our show and Slate's journalism. Sign up for Slate Plus at slate.com slash plus. Again, we're giving $25 off your first year as a member through December 29th. So sign up now at slate.com slash plus. Hello, and welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I'm your host, Daniel M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Edgar Gomez, the author of the forthcoming memoir, High Risk Homosexual, about coming of age as a queer Latinx person in a culture of machismo. They live in Jackson Heights, Queens, and Centurce, Puerto Rico. Edgar, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, Danny. Thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you so much for bearing with the absolutely unhinged number of like distended cords that I pulled out trying to (laughs) start recording on a new device today. It didn't happen. I appreciate your bearing with me immensely. And I'm so excited because I feel like uh, this week we have some really good thorny gay high risk questions.
1: Oh my God, I know. I was like, I wonder what questions they're going to pick for me. And like, these really blew me away in like a good way. So I'm really excited.
0: Good. I'm really glad to hear that. Well, I will take our first letter because it's long and I, you know, I want to be nice to you today. So I will uh, get us diving in. The subject is working up the energy. I work at a large performing arts organization in the Midwest. Many of my previous coworkers have also been queer and or trans. So getting people to use they, them when referring to me has been pretty straightforward. Getting my current coworkers on the same page has been difficult, but relatively successful after a few conversations. I'm enjoying their company so far, and they're surprisingly good about remembering my pronouns and using a more gender-neutral, shortened version of my name. With one exception, my direct supervisor. She's an otherwise endearingly grumpy middle-aged cis lesbian. We get on well, but she uses male pronouns when discussing me with other people. I've never used he, him, and I have no idea how to interpret this choice. If I were to guess, I think it might be that she knows she shouldn't use she, her for me, doesn't feel comfortable with they, them, and just goes with what she sees as her remaining option. Is this common? A few things have held me back from discussing this directly. I'm the youngest person in the office at 25, I'm Jewish, and I'm disabled. I've already had to do a fair bit of pushing to get time off for the high holidays and a top surgery revision, as well as a few reasonable accommodations. My boss has begrudgingly acquiesced, but I have a nagging worry that this has been a nuisance to her, and asking her to use the correct pronouns would be one thing too much. I'm also tired of frequently having to explain myself to others, and she's not always the most receptive. I know that I can expect a certain degree of misgendering in life since I don't use standard pronouns, and this version doesn't exactly send me into agony. But I also don't want to overlook this for the sake of future trans coworkers, and yet I'm also struggling to muster the energy to have this conversation. Am I missing a subtly transphobic dynamic from my boss? How would you recommend I go about this conversation with her? How do I rid myself of the sense that I can't advocate for my dignity as a non-binary person without being seen as an insufferable millennial? <laughs> I, I really felt that last question. I was reminded of that like image macro that's been going around lately. That's like, of course you have blue hair and pronouns. Um, <laughs> and I I can really appreciate that sense of like, I've already been having to push and I'm worried I'm about to be like labeled a difficult millennial and um, uh, I
1: that that resonates as they say yeah that really really does suck Um, however as I was like reading this question I was like some of these things that um, this uh, person was like advocating for themselves for like don't really seem like that even millennially like like, asking for time off for the Jewish holidays, accommodations for their disability, like, those are not, like, new things. Like, I don't, yeah, it's just, it, it's, it sucks that you feel like you're asking too much when you're really asking for, like, the bare minimum.
0: Yeah, I, I want to start, I think, with, um, like, I have a couple of recommendations for resources in terms of, like, how to, um, you know, know your rights, how to uh, consider your other options. And I do want to get to that, but I think I just want to sort of start with this question of whether or not this particular person wants to have a conversation with their boss, either on the basis of like making work reasonably non-hostile place to be versus like worrying about future trans employees. And I would just say, letter writer, That is too much to put on yourself is to like think if I don't do something now, future trans employees might have a harder time. I mean, I can appreciate that as a value, but I would just say like that is not incumbent upon you. That is not like a moral obligation that you have been charged with. So I would say this is really a question of what you feel like you're prepared to push for at work, what you feel prepared to do emotionally um, and to say, I want you to feel a lot of freedom if you decide this is frustrating, but my read of the situation is that I want to save my energy for a future battle, that would be fine. Um, and if you decide, no, I actually do want to talk to my boss about this, that would be more than fine as well.
1: Yeah, it's like, I I understand that like desire to want to push the needle forward for your entire community. But at the same time, you have to balance that with like, I don't want you to lose your job. Like that is also like you, in order to like advocate on behalf of other people, you have to like advocate for yourself and, you know, be able to pay your bills and have an apartment and a place to live. And if doing that advocacy work puts all of that in jeopardy, then, you know, maybe approaching it a different way is a way for you to advocate for yourself. You know, I think that it needs to be the number one priority.
0: Yeah, I I think so too. So, you know, with that being said, you know, letter writer, if you do decide that you want to have that conversation, um, I would recommend um, checking out the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, the EEOC, um, that's a governmental organization that, among other things, provides information to workers about their rights under uh, Title VIII, the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And there there are specifically, like if you go to the EEOC site, um, there are like pamphlets for LGBT workers so that you can try to get a better sense of like what your legal rights are in the workplace. Um, there are varied state laws that may come into play There is also, you know, obviously like a question of whether or not uh, state laws can supersede other things. And then there's also, of course, like there's what the law says and then there's what happens in practice. Um, So this is like potentially useful information about like what the history has looked like in your state. You can also check out the National Center for Transgender Equality um, to see if there's any particular like city, state, local laws that might be to your benefit. But, you know. I, I realize that's not just like you can you can say like, well, there's actually a law and you
1: have to treat me well. <laughs> um. yeah, in like a dream world, I would be able to tell this letter writer, just go to your HR and have them handle it, right? But in reality, like HR, they're basically just like cops in suits. Like they, it is their job to prevent lawsuits, not really to advocate for you. And um Yeah, it's just, it's really hard because you have to find sort of ways to like navigate the system under the radar almost. Um, How to like work outside the law to like get what you need. And sometimes it is just like a matter of like, how much can you put up with and maybe like just not do anything about it. Um, However, like, more thoughts on that <laughs> later.
0: <laughs> yeah. So I, you know, I realized too, there was that question of like, do you have a sense of why my boss might be doing this? You know, I I, I think I share your general reaction letter writer in like, yeah, my guess is she has felt like I don't want to use they them. I don't want to say that outright. And so I'm just going to like pick a random third door. But I also don't want to get too caught up in trying to speculate why, in part because if you do decide to have this conversation with her, I would really encourage you not to spend too much time talking about possible motivations. I think that's a distraction. I think if you were to have this conversation, I would encourage you to have it along these lines of like, I've told you that my pronouns are they, them. I don't understand why you're using he, him for me. I want to clarify Those are not my pronouns. Please don't. Because if you ask why, then you can get drawn into a kind of like conversation about something that's frankly not like relevant to the issue at hand, which is that she has simply decided to come up with pronouns for you. Um, and especially if your other coworkers are not using those pronouns, you know, that is also potentially like an area of confusion when it comes to working with like other people in the corporation. Um, so I, I'm also sorry just on that front,
1: like that it it makes extra work for you. Yeah. I mean, they ask the question, am I missing a subtly transphobic dynamic from my boss? And I guess I just want to be clear, like, you're not really, you're not missing anything. Like, it seems very, very overt. Like, you've established what your pronouns are. They're not using them. Mm -hmm. You also say they're not always the most receptive. You call them, um, what is it, like, Uh, endearingly grumpy uh, yeah Uh, but which also I don't even know what that means like is she the Grinch or something Um, I I read that as like (laughs) she's grumpy but she's my boss
0: which is like I need to find a way to find like a spin on this that makes it like tolerable because I
1: have to report to her but that's just a guess yeah but regarding having like I guess having that conversation with her again and being more firm I guess what worries me is, like, I don't want you to get fired. And it really depends on, like, do do you, like, super need this job? Um, Can you perhaps, like, in the background be, like, looking for another job just in case? Um, Just things to have in mind. But regarding having conversations with somebody, whether it's about um, gender or race or, um, you know, homophobia, transphobia, anything... I've found for me that most people really just don't want to feel like they're being like accused. And um, it sucks because, like, low key, you might be accusing them, (laughs) but you have to find a way to, like, especially when the person you're having a conversation with has this like power over you to, like, you know, make them feel like good about uh, them treating you bad, which is like, That it's so much work that you know you have to do and it sucks um my suggestion was if you are going to have this conversation with um her to maybe do it in like a kind of a group setting or over like email and phrase it as a thank you um and i know that sounds i know that sounds crazy but this is just how i would handle it i would be like Hey everybody, I just want to say thank you so much for respecting my pronouns and for the accommodations y'all have been giving me. Um I know that I've been asking for a lot at previous uh, workplaces people um haven't respected my pronouns, but here everyone has respected it and it really means so much to me. And if she's like in the room there like listening to that, it it's like a subtle way to like reestablish that these are your pronouns to everybody. Everybody sort of feels good. And then if after that, she continues to misgender you, then it's like a matter of uh, doing like a risk assessment. Like, is it worth, for me to, worth it for me to stay here? Do I have a choice to stay here? Um, If you did do it over email or as a group, at least you have like a group of people who can like back you up and be like, yeah, I was there or you have like documentation. So that's like always like a good thing to have.
0: I, I always appreciate that. Like I'm thanking everyone for their cooperation pointedly um, as a sort of like indirect way. I think I would probably, if this were a more social setting, that might be a potential route I would encourage. I'll throw out another option, which is I think letter writer, if you do want to simply like make the simple request, um, to just phrase it as, as you have, which is just, Hey, I've let you know that I use they, them. I don't go by he, him. Can you please stop? Which, you know, you can say that lightly. I can't promise you that she won't still react defensively, but, um, you know, one, I suppose, advantage here, my guess is that the most, like, relevant sort of, like, federal case would be the, the Bostock ruling from 2020, um, you know, which is uh, prohibiting the firing of individuals because of their sexual orientation or transgender status because that violates Title 8. Uh, the The thing that will work in your favor is that, you know— uh, according to the EEOC, accidental misuse of uh, name and pronouns doesn't violate Title VIII, but intentionally and repeatedly using the wrong name and pronouns to refer to a transgender employee could contribute to an unlawful, hostile work environment. So again, I'm not saying any of this because I want you to go get a lawyer tomorrow, or I want you to say all of this to your, to your boss. But just so you have a sense of like, this is consistent, this is repeated, this is not mm-hmm. accidental. If you do eventually need to escalate it, those will likely be the grounds upon which you will have the most protection. So it will help to have made that explicit with your boss. And then to, as you were suggesting, Edgar, to follow up afterwards in writing so that there is a written record. And again, your your goal should always be to remain really like calm, polite, and straightforward, which is just, yeah. this is these are my pronouns. Um, you can also throw them into your like automatic email sign-off um, that's another way of, of of communicating it without necessarily having to have a conversation with everybody that you um, encounter. And, and you know, I think at that point, if your boss says, "Actually, I don't want to," and here's why, or does not continue at that point, you could consider looping HR in again. Not because I think they are going to be wildly helpful to you, but in terms of establishing a paper trail, um, and you know. At some point, if you do need to bring up Bostock, you can say, like, I am actually, you know, um, I'm not asking for the moon here. I'm not asking for something unreasonable here. Um, that would probably be your your next best bet. Oof. I'm sorry. Yeah. I get why this is, like, really – that sounds really stressful and uncomfortable, especially when you've already had to, like, push for basic accommodations or, like, acknowledgement that you're Jewish and don't – I'm really sorry, letter writer.
1: Um, The other thing I'll say is that I think when you are someone with different marginalized identities, um, you sort of develop over time like a thick skin and like, whether you're in the workplace or at school or like wherever you are, you like, wherever you are, where you're forced to be around other people, like those people don't have to be like your friends. Like you could go into work and just have it be our business. And maybe this is like, this is weird because it's like, I don't want, I don't want to be like, just like take it, you know? But like a lot of people with marginalized backgrounds just do have to like take it. And what I've done in the past in situations like that is just treated these environments as just like strictly business. Like I'm going to go in here, do the work that I need to be do. And then at the end of the day, I'm going to, like, meet up with my, like, queer friends. And with them, I'll be like, you won't believe these fucking, you know, whatever people today. And then we'll have a drink. And that'll be that, you know. Um, I think if you don't have that supportive environment at work, then just, like, don't look for a supportive environment there. Just, like, do your work and leave.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I think that that's always like a good worst case scenario kind of like strategy. And,
1: you know, again, letter
0: writer, I realize that part of the reason that you feel really anxious about this is because like I, I'm already very aware that I might be perceived as difficult. And I just, I'm, I'm really sorry. and I, And one of the things that seems really clear here is like you're asking for reasonable accommodations for your disabilities, which you are legally entitled to. You're asking for time off for the high holidays, which like, again, super reasonable. And your boss is already like, chosen new pronouns for you, it's not harder to, to go from him to they. Like none of what you are asking for is especially difficult. Um, no. and so I think one of the things that I think you already know this letter writer, but like, it is that people often bring high degrees of resistance to even low level accommodations or change. Um, and just because someone is like, you know, like a, having a meltdown and be like, I'm exhausted. It does not actually mean you have just made someone run a marathon. It means that someone is like trying to, uh, you know, play tug of war without admitting that
1: they're playing tug of war. And so the the insufferable part is not on you. No, not at all. And it really it really, especially sucks that, like, these are people, like, you work in a performative, performing arts, what is it?
0: Organization, um, yeah.
1: Organization. Um, your supervisor is a lesbian. Like, these are people that are supposedly in your community and even they can't, like, do the most basic things that you're asking for. It's like, that's so, so frustrating. And then regarding feeling like an insufferable millennial, I think it's, like, important to acknowledge that we, like, live in a, like, society and, you know, like, a culture. We live in a society. Isn't that a meme? We live in a society. <laughs> Not I'm sorry. Um, I am the worst. But there's a vested interest in maintaining the status quo for cis, straight, white, able-bodied men And the reason that you feel like an insufferable millennial when you are truly just advocating for, like, the most basic things is because they want to uh, maintain those people in power. Um, It's also, it's like, there's that added weird intersection of, like, it is, like, a seemingly queer workspace. But, yeah, you shouldn't feel bad. It's like, they want you to feel bad for asking for, to be treated like a person, (laughs) like a human being.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, just that, like, is this common question, you know, um, I, I couldn't really speak to like how frequent it is, but I, I will say that like weird cis pushback about any like change in pronouns or any non-normative pronouns, that's definitely common as is somebody who is not willing to say outright, I don't respect this and I don't respect you and I'm not going to do it. Um, but there, you know, I like a fairly common phenomenon that like I know among trans women is like people start they theming me when they're mad at me. Um, Like that's like a dynamic that I am aware of as like one way that people like subtly try to, you know, box someone out of a certain position um, when they want to like be mad. And so I think it's also not uncommon sometimes for um, someone rather than saying like, I don't want to use they, them, let's fight about it to just like switch to a random other pronoun that you've never even discussed. Um, Yeah, it's weird. I don't have like a universal explanation for why people do it, but people get weird about pronouns Mm -hmm. and I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, I'm sorry too. I hope you, the conversation goes well. And if it doesn't, that you can find a better job quick.
0: (laughs) Families have a lot going on. Would you mind reading our second letter?
1: Sure. Um, I love the subject. (laughs) It's T for two. Okay, so I'll start. I am a pre-T trans guy who has transitioned socially and changed my name legally. Where I live, the name change is the easy part. Waiting for hormones is the hard part. I look pretty masked. My voice passes. And I have chest hair and the beginning of a mustache. Despite these favorable settings, I feel unsure about dating before starting hormones. I do my best to be a sensible human being, shower regularly, and wear nice cologne. I am scared of being misgendered once the clothes are off, and part of my dysphoria manifests itself in not wanting people to see my torso. How do I get past this and start dating? Do people manage to date pre-T trans guys without being weird about it? What are the rules for how to be a man on a date? I am bi, so are there rules about who pays when two men go on a date?
0: I found this really sweet. Um, Yeah. yeah. I was also very charmed by this. And I was like, congratulations on having like a little rat mustache. I also have a little rat mustache.
1: (laughs) I use the term very affectionately, by the way. (laughs) It was really sweet. I found myself like smiling and then like frowning immediately after. Um, Smiling at the part by, um, I do my best to be a sensible human being, shower regularly and wear nice cologne. And then immediately it's like this really heartbreaking, I'm scared of being misgendered once the clothes are off.
0: Yeah, I mean, my first thought there, this might seem obvious, but like, letter writer, you know, there is a time-honored trans masculine tradition of fucking with your shirt on. And, um, you don't have to, obviously not everybody does it. Um, but if you just feel like, I don't think I would have a good time having sex if I took off my binder or whatever else, or my shirt, keep it on. Um, and Mm -hmm. you know, let your partners know, um, you can just say it. You don't have to apologize for it or act like it's the weirdest thing that they will have ever heard of. Um, if you feel like you would not have a good time having sex or getting intimate with someone without something covering your torso, cover your torso. It's totally
1: legal and free. Yeah. Yeah. Or lights off, too, is an option if you want to do that.
0: Yeah, or even just say, like, I want to, like, hold that as an option maybe further down the road. But, like, at least the first few times we hook up, like, I'm probably going to stay partially covered just letting you know.
1: Yeah, I think that, I mean, unless this is, like, a random hookup, um, or even if it is a random hookup, um, like, on the first date, you can be like, this is a fear of mine. I don't want to be misgendered once my clothes are off. Um, it's happened to some friends of mine, it would really like uh, trigger blah, blah, blah. Um, And you've like established that and hopefully that the the person respects that.
0: Yeah. And uh, you know, you can share as much or as little as you would like about sort of your reasons behind it. You can also just say, I'm going to leave a shirt on um, and you don't have to go into it. And I think one of the things that can be useful about that is I think sometimes, especially when you're approaching the idea of dating from a sort of like theoretical perspective, It can feel like that's going to be a buzzkill or that will make somebody else feel out of place. Um, I think actually more often, even and especially maybe when it comes to a one-off hookup, um, having a pretty like straightforward and frank discussion ahead of time of like what interests you, what you're into, what your limits are, what you're not interested in can go a long way towards making the sex feel more interesting and fun rather than just like, I hope we're both good at reading each other's minds and just intuiting what's going to feel sexy um, like if that's a sort of standard you're worried that you're not going to meet, um, I think more often than not, like communicating in like a non-judgmental uh, like judgmental way what you plan on doing or what you would like to avoid, people yeah. actually, I think, often really appreciate a little guidance, a little context.
1: I totally agree. Um, I know that there's been so many times where I've gone into a hookup where I've just assumed I guess I've been optimistic. I've assumed that we're both on the same page of like what we both like, and then they pull out like some like wild shit that like is not like normal in my life, um, or not um, common in my life, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm like, oh, okay. I guess we're doing we're doing that now. Um, and <laughs> just having that conversation beforehand would have like eliminated that, you know. So yeah, it's I guess it's another you know risk assessment.
0: Yeah, and I think, too, one of the reasons that that I wanted to encourage the letter writer not to necessarily share I'm scared of being misgendered when they're, like, telling a potential partner that they might stay partially clothed during sex is um, presumably a lot of partners would want to say something reassuring, like, oh, I won't do that. And that's not necessarily, like, it's not like you're saying I believe that you will do this so much as, like, I will potentially be too distracted by my anxiety around that to stay in the moment. Okay. So it's not yeah. like, oh, don't share that information with potential partners. You absolutely can. I just mean letter writer. One of the reasons it can be nice to just share the information without going into a lot of details is then, then you don't have to say like, oh, that's really nice of you. But I actually wasn't looking to like negotiate this point. I just want you to know I will feel yeah. more comfortable and present if I just know like that's not going to come up.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. As for the question of like, do people
0: manage to date pre-T trans guys without being weird about it? I would always love to be able to say either like yes or no and just like guarantee you one way or the other. But, you know, unfortunately, a big part of that, I think, is you just you have to screen for weirdness and um, you don't always know who's going to get weird. And I don't know necessarily what would feel like I I have, a think, a good sense of what many trans guys would find a little weird, but not everybody. And so I think mm-hmm. the question to ask yourself is, what's weird for me? What's too weird? What's an indicator uh, that I would rather not continue with the hookup and how will I be able to check in with myself in the moment and say, actually, I'm not feeling this. I'm going to go.
1: Yeah. Yeah, regarding that question, I feel like the word, like, do people manage to date pre trans guys without being weird about it? I feel like the word people can be, like, interpreted in a lot of different ways. Um, I know that when I first started dating, I'm non-binary. I'm not a trans man. Um, but I, And I feel like I'm more on the femme spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um when I first started dating, I was really attracted to like masculine men. And the reason for that was because I thought it was safer um, to be with masculine men. And on like grinder and stuff, I would present myself as like really mask um, for a variety of different reasons, but mostly because um, it's like that mask for mask yeah, thing. Yeah, and
0: like if like, there's a flood,
1: we could carry each other across a river. Exactly <laughs> um, and there was like there was like this uh I mean when we if the hookup went well and we started dating, I would feel like like really safe with the person because it's like, oh, we weren't we weren't like coded as like a queer couple. People would see us and just think we were like friends or something like that. Um, but over time, I sort of started like unpacking that and being like, oh my God, like how like free do I feel?" if I'm like constantly worried about like my partner catching me being femme, um, how safe am I in this relationship? If it's just like a source of like constant anxiety. And what I did was I just started dating other like femme non-binary trans folk. And I think that is like something that at least in my friend group, a lot of the trans and non-binary people, what they do is just at least when they're starting to date, maybe like start by dating other, uh, trans folk, other trans men, or um, other non-binary folk as well. Uh, it is just like, there's like a shared understanding with that.
0: Yeah, I think, I, I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up, because I think kind of two things on that subject, one of which is, yeah, that's a great dating pool. There's often like, at least a yes. certain shared sense of like, community, if not necessarily shared experience. And the flip side of that is there's no one category of person who is like, fundamentally like, gonna make you feel safe or comfortable so I, I think, you know, while I would encourage you, letter writer, to like look for other trans people to go out with because that can be really fun and nice, um, that it is possible for anyone to get weird about a trans guy before or after tea, even if that partner is also a pre-T trans guy. So um, yeah. I, I think it can be like a really lovely um, community to like look for partners in. And I just also want to like stress letter writer you should always kind of keep in mind like what you need and what you want and how you can express that and what doesn't work for you. Um, And just remember, there's not any one category of dates that if you just look for dates among this or that type of person, no one's ever going to be weird or make like unpleasant assumptions or like treat you in a way that feels instrumentalizing. Um, Anyone is capable of doing that. Trans people are certainly capable of doing that to each other. So um, not not to say like, you know, I don't want to encourage you to necessarily think of everyone as like, a potential monster so much as just like there is a certain degree of risk in dating anybody. And the best thing that you can do is make sure before you go on any date, like if you think like, if I feel really uncomfortable or like someone is uh, treating me in a way that I don't like, I want to be sure that I'll be prepared to say like, you know what, I'm just not feeling it. I'm going to go without that feeling impossible. Because if you go into a date and you feel like there's no, it would be rude to say I'm not feeling it. I couldn't possibly, then that can really lead you to like a lot of unpleasant dates and like just a sense of like, oh God, I just wasted another evening.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, if there were like one piece of advice that we could give you to like make dating not weird, I feel like we'd be rich. Like if we had that advice. Yeah. Um, it's, dating is just weird. It's just always going to be weird because you are meeting somebody that you don't know. And so um, part of dating is getting to know somebody and part of getting to know somebody is they might suck. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then beyond that, you know, there was this, like a very sweet question. What are the rules for how to be a man on a date? You know, <laughs> I feel both very like, you know, I know the like right answer is like, there's no rules. That's part of the fun of Being, like, bi and transitioning is, like, you can make up your own rules. But it also might be useful for you to think about, like, how might I enjoy being a man on a date? What might I want that to look like? Um, And that's, you know, a question you can try to answer for yourself. I think, generally speaking, if it's, like, a first date, the best rule of thumb is, like, if you ask somebody out, you should offer to pay. Mm -hmm. Um, But, again, that's not, like, if you don't do that, you're an asshole. Like, people are poor. People need to like save money. Like not everyone can afford to t- to pay for every first date. So I think it's also really, really fine to just assume you'll, you'll split the bill with most people.
1: Yeah. That question is um like, what are the rules? Who pays? Like that's a very, and I don't mean this like in a mean way, but it's, it's like a very cliche question. And the reason that it is cliche is because so many people, like there's no answer. So many people are asking that question. I have rules, which are, like, if I ask you out on a date, um, I'm going to pay for that date. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have been asked out on dates, showed up, and, like, assumed that the other person was going to pay. And then been like, oh, I don't, like, where am I? This is, like, $30 on this, like, stupid burger with this person who I don't really, really like. Like, is actually going to hurt me. <laughs> so, uh, what happens now? Yeah. Yeah. Um, But I always recommend for first dates, just, like, go get drinks or coffee or something that is both, like, cheap and also doesn't, like, take up, like, too much time, just in case you're not, like, not feeling the vibe.
0: Right. Um, Don't necessarily schedule every first date as, like, a nine-course dinner that's going to take four
1: hours. (laughs) Exactly. Um, or you could do like a free thing. Like you could go on like a picnic or, you know, a museum in New York. Museums are like cheap. You could, well, I mean, yeah. Well, <laughs> just have sex. Like it could
0: just be a hookup. Like come over and
1: let's have sex. And- Truly, though, a lot of my relationships have been like, I hooked up with a person, it went well, and I've been like, you know what? I want to keep seeing this person. So a lot of my hookups have led to relationships, and it's been free. So
0: <laughs> yeah. just,
1: you know, be a hoe.
0: <laughs> that, that's also often a great way to, like, make friends, is, like, you go on a couple of dates, you hook up a few times, and then you're just like, that's about as far as I want to take that, but, like, let's get scones. Truly 99% of my friend group. <laughs> yeah, I think my last thought, too, about, like, who pays on the date is, like, a good way to make sure that you're never like really unpleasantly surprised just like don't go on a date where you couldn't afford to pay your half of the bill where like you're depending on the other person to cover the bill and that will just go a long way towards making you not feel like stressed out the whole time yeah
1: yeah yeah yeah
0: I think that's it good luck right back let us know how that goes I hope you have some really fun dates in your near future um... love wins <laughs>
1: <laughs> love wins that's just how
0: you ask people out like love wins <laughs>
2: Just go to ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy ramp.com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply.
0: So you've already told us a little bit about emerging from your mandatory mask for mask phase. And so this feels <laughs> like a good moment to just ask you to talk a little bit more about your book and what it's been like writing it, what it's been like having it come out and um, where you're at. Did you solve the problem of how dating works? How? What was the problem again? I'm, I'm not sure. What are the rules? Did you establish
1: a set of rules that we can all abide by? Oh no! Every time I go on a date, it's like chaos. It's like hopefully this goes well. Um, I might, you know, end up, you know, in debt <laughs> and like wasting like a lot of time. Um, yeah. As far as like how writing the book has been, it's been wild. I think it feels like I'm. It isn't like a diary. Uh, it's a memoir, but it, it isn't, like, a diary. It's, like, way more curated than that. And, like, I did a lot of, like, work into, like, you know, making it read, like, stories um, with, like, characters and motivations and plots and all that. But there's this weird thing where it's, like, when I was writing the book, I honestly didn't think it was going to get published just because of, like, like, every time I go on Twitter, I see all of, like, the statistics of what books get published and, like... It's like, you know, let's say, you know, 5% by Latinx authors. And then how many of those Latinx authors are queer? How many of those Latinx authors are like Central American? Um, And so like, just looking at all that, I was like, this isn't really, I don't know. I'm just writing this just almost like out of spite or something. Um, And it like weirdly freed me to like write whatever I wanted without like fearing of like, oh, what is my mom going to think? You know, what are my friends going to think if this gets published someday? Or are they going to get mad at me? And now that we're, like, approaching the pub date, all of those questions are, like, rising to the surface. And I'm just, like, a little bit in, like, I'm, like, between, like, panic mode and, like, exciting. So I don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what to think. That is really <laughs> exciting. Did you uh, always have that title in mind? Or was that something
0: that came a little bit later to the project?
1: Um, No, the original title was Boys Club. Um, and it was supposed to be, like, tongue-in-cheek um and there's also a chapter in the book about me going to a bathhouse and it's cod boys club um but then whenever i told people about it they just like looked like dead in the eyes and so i was like okay let me like figure out something else and it was around the time like i i was working on the book and i i this thing happened where like i went to the doctor and i got diagnosed as hypersexual um and once that, I happened, love the I was idea like, of that being in like the DSM, like high risk homosexual. I oh, it fully is, and you can like Google it, and so many like queer people all over the country like have posted pictures of like their prescriptions that say high homosexuals. It's like a really common ridiculous thing, um, especially because like there's no like straight version of that. Like the the so the reason I was diagnosed as high risk homosexual is because I went on this pill called Chubata... Um, I don't know if uh, everyone's aware, but it's like this pill, you take one a day, and it's supposed to reduce your risk of contracting HIV by like 100%. But essentially, in order to, at least at the time that I went on it, to get that pill at my campus health center, I had to like prove that I was a high-risk homosexual. Um, But it's not like only queer people contract HIV, like straight people contract HIV as well, um, and could also benefit from the pill. And I really, really doubt that there's like a high risk heterosexual diagnostic. But you know what I mean?
0: Yeah, it's interesting. I'm sure that there are other ways in which like, you know, various kinds of like worker behaviors can get stigmatized, but it's usually not on the basis of somebody's heterosexuality. Yeah. 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 Well, you wear it well. It's a beautiful title. (laughs) Thank you. When does it come out? January 11th. Are you excited? Who do you hope gets mad at you? Like, who do you want to get mad at you?
1: Oh, nobody. (laughs) I'm trying to be the Bretman Rock of the literary world. Um, I'm trying to, like, be non-problematic in my island. I live between Queens and Puerto Rico, so I'm just trying to be in Puerto Rico, like, minding my own business, um, successful, thriving, limitless. High (laughs) risk, low conflict. It's a good combination.
0: (laughs) Well, that's very, very exciting. Congratulations again. And I'm really looking forward to getting a chance to read it. Edgar, thank you so much for taking some time to um, tell everyone else uh, how to live their best high risk life. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. This was delightful. Have a fabulous rest of the day and um, congratulations again on the book.
1: You too. Have a good day.
0: Bye. And before I let the rest of you go, we have an update from a former letter writer, uh, sad in the Southwest. And here it is. I actually already requested a different therapist. The first one asked if I felt like a disappointment to my family. And I explained that I mostly don't, but that I feel like my mom wishes I was in a more artistic field and like I'm failing to live up to her level of creativity and her expectations of me. Then throughout the session, almost every anecdote I told The therapist would compliment my mom for being so creative, and that bothered me so much I just didn't go back. I'm having session two with a new one this week. I don't necessarily know that all I want is a sounding board, but the way my mom offered help often felt like it was more about trying out and showing off her cool new life coach tricks. And she didn't necessarily seem to care if I didn't want to discuss it with her, or if my siblings were there, etc. Confusing got me labeled incurious and not very introspective. So even though I don't know if someone just listening is or should be the goal, I'm apprehensive of methods that feel coachy. And I guess CBT did, at least to me. It is helpful to be reminded you can tell a therapist you're skeptical, even if that sounds hard, and that life coaches aren't usually certified. Mom spent so much time and money on it that it feels more authoritative and insightful than it maybe is. Anyways, there's some more context. We have uh, another response from a listener who wanted to share a few thoughts on the subject. I just wanted to say that solution-based therapy is not a very useful method. In my opinion, it is for privileged people who are doing something like choosing a college major. If this person is looking for a strong therapeutic relationship, I recommend cultural relational therapy or CRT. I have a master's in mental health counseling and dance and movement therapy. My preferred styles were CRT and psychodynamic theory. I know you're not asking for my opinion, but I decided to share the information I have just in case it helps. Thank you. You are uh, more than welcome to share your opinion and I am very happy to share it with other listeners and they can um, you know, incorporate your opinion into their own and everyone can do as they like with the rest of the afternoon. Thanks again for listening and good luck with everyone who is currently seeking a therapist who makes their life at least a little better and not worse. I hope that's a goal that all of us can achieve. Thanks again. Here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. It is, I think, incredibly fine to just say, like, I've just met someone. They're not my dear friend. Like, they don't get to act familiar with me. They need to, like, observe the basic rules of politeness and, like, getting to know somebody. Like, you know, you don't go to somebody's house and then immediately, like, lie down on their bed and, like, open their fridge and start (laughs) rummaging through it. Like, you act like a guest, you know? You ask if you can have a cup of tea or you sit down on a chair, like, behave yourself. To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood